When COVID-19 hit in 2020, technology and business leaders accelerated digital transformation to make sure everyone could work effectively and safely from home while pivoting to maintain customer interactions and business continuity. A decade of digital transformation or more jammed into just over a year. Now, leaders need to reflect on the new technology and processes they've put in place in such quick time and determine if this is sustainable in the long term. How do they maintain momentum, innovation and agility, as well as security and compliance now and looking ahead to the future? Hi, I'm David Binning, Associate Editor with COO Australia, and welcome to this two-part series produced in partnership with Canon Business Services, sister companies Harbour IT and Converger BPO, as well as COO Australia, on maintaining business agility and data security with the cloud post-COVID. In this first episode, designing the right cloud architecture to power digital transformation, we'll be discussing the critical role played by cloud technologies over the past 18 months and the sorts of issues CIOs need to be addressing to ensure they're getting the best performance, management and visibility, as well as value for money. How do you find the right mix of public cloud versus on-premise to meet the individual needs of your organisation? Where does the private cloud fit in the mix? Joining me now from Canon Business Services, our CEO, Luke Clark, and Lawrence Mills, General Manager, Sales and Professional Services. Gentlemen, welcome. Thanks for having us. Thanks, David. Now, Luke, if I could start with you, could you just talk me through, just in, in your view, how COVID-19 has seen the role of CIOs pivot even further, I guess, towards that of providing real leadership across their organisations? Yeah, sure. It's been definitely interesting times for CIOs over the last couple of years and interesting time for, for business in, in general, where I don't think there's any organisation that hasn't had to pivot in one way, shape or form, whether that's standing up the ability to work from home or going online for the first time because they've had to shut their stores. But it's been interesting. And I think from a CIO's perspective, that presented two real opportunities. First being, obviously, there were primarily technology transformations. So that was a CIO's opportunity to shine. But secondly, for CEOs, I think there were other distractions that took precedence over technology change, such as dealing with employee challenges and customer challenges and keeping customers abreast of business development. And so I think that left a void for CIOs to fill, to really take a, a business-wide transformation lens, not just a technology transformation lens. Sure. CIOs are great at that. I think, though, it was their time really to step forward and be seen as true business leaders across the entire business, which I think they've done really well. Yeah, indeed. And Lawrence, digital transformation projects, as we've been hearing and reading about, have been greatly accelerated across the board since COVID. What do you think CIOs can do to ensure that these initiatives are actually sustainable into the future? That's the million dollar question, isn't it? How do you make the change sustainable? We're very lucky in, in what Luke and I do. We work with a you know a large group of CIOs. And you know, I think the ones I've seen really shine through this are the ones, you know, further to Luke's point, that lead cross-functionally, that work beyond technology and into the business, you know, really understanding every department's requirements, understanding what the desired end state is. And then taking the whole business on that transformation journey. I read a Gartner article a couple of weeks ago. I think it was 53% of the companies they spoke to, the large enterprises they spoke to, were seeing these initiatives take twice as long and costing twice as much than as originally anticipated. And they said the, the biggest factor in that was cultural readiness. And that's where I think we've seen CIOs that actually do a great job of managing change and then operationalizing and embedding it is helping with that cultural readiness, leading cross-functionally and taking the business on a journey to, to get to where they want to be. And how do you think these experiences have shaped CIOs and customers' expectations of, of managed service providers over the past 18 months? 
oh, there's definitely, you know, there's definitely been a change. I think if you go back to when, you know, when we first went into lockdown 12, 15 months ago, the velocity in which some of these changes were made reset the bar around how long businesses expected transformation to take. And once the bar's been reset, that's the new bar, right? So where we've seen expectations change on us as a service provider is really mirroring where they've changed on our CIO, you know, CTO and, and head of IT partners is that they're expected to deliver these transformation initiatives in a much shorter period of time, you know, sometimes with less less resources, less money. And that's where they're expecting more from us. You know, delivering to SLA is, is table stakes now. It's, it's not enough. You need to be proactive. You need to be agile. But more than that, you've got to have a really solid, decent understanding of your customer's business and your customer's customer. If they need to deliver things more quickly than they have previously, they need to be able to go to a trusted partner that actually already understands the context of that transformation, that understands why it's happening, what needs to happen, what the moving parts are, rather than go to someone they've never worked with before, who they've got to spend a period of time you know, bringing them up to speed on their own business, on their own objectives, you know, which just adds to the, to the timeline. So you know, we see CIOs are having to deliver things more quickly, and we're having to, to help with that. Right. One example that, that set that bar you know, going back 15 months, we worked with a, a peak industry body, unfortunately I can't name, but they had a, a contact centre of about 200, 200 people. And they, when they were sent home, they needed to get them back up and operational very, very quickly. They knew that their customers were going to be impacted and are going to want to talk to the contact centre. So we worked very closely with the CIO and, and their team to do all of the things that we needed to do to get that contact centre back up and under their business SLA within 48 hours. And yeah, that was a a great example of, of partnership working well. We'd worked with that peak industry body for a, a fair number of years. We knew the importance and the context, and we understood why they had to happen. And because we were, had, you know, we managed their infrastructure, we managed their network, we were able to work collaboratively to, to achieve a heck of a lot in a short space of time. Yeah, sure. And it's it's interesting you you mentioned the the SLAs as well. I mean, that's, that's sort of been a benchmark for you know, contracts between customers and managed service providers for for many many years. And, but, but now, really, the, the SLA is is not really the end of the story anymore, is it? No, I mean you have to you have to manage the SLA. Of course, you do, and you have to make sure the SLA is is back to back with the customer's own SLAs back into their business. But yeah, really, it's, it, it is table stakes. You need to be seen to be so much more proactive. Partners are looking for us to deliver meaningful advice, guidance, to add value. You know, we we did some market research recently, and one of the quotes that came back that I I thought was really powerful was if you don't understand my business you can't add value and i think that just goes to show the level of, of intimacy partners and customers are looking for now from their service providers yeah sure really demanding just an unprecedented level of communication and and focus back to you Luke. what do you see as the the best msps have been doing in uh, in response to these challenges that have been thrown at, at organizations throughout the pandemic I think it follows on from that SLA discussion, right? It's, it's much more than just providing SLAs. A customer said to me the other day, I don't want perfection. I just want you to add value to my business from an external <laughs> from an external lens. I'm like, you know, yeah. it's really the best managed service providers and where we're really focused is on our customers' success, you know, understanding their business as deeply as we can to understand well, what does success for them look like and what sets them apart. It's cultural more than anything, and that's the hardest thing for an organisation. And for us out, we've got the culture of we truly care and 
an approach of more than just understanding when it comes to our customers. And we can do that and really understand what challenges they're facing and where the opportunities lie. We can really you know, shift the needle and make a difference for our customers. It's more than technical capability or capacity. It's the foundation of a, an MSP to show that you really care and, and want to make a difference. What kind of steps can you take in order to ensure and enshrine that sort of greater cultural Alignment. For us, it's about talking about our culture every day and looking for examples and talking about and highlighting examples of where we have made a difference and where we've seen the team truly care, whether it's, you know, the person on the service desk or the service delivery manager in a monthly review, how are we adding value and how are we showing customers that we care about their business? Yeah. If you talk about that often, it starts to, to really resonate in, in your culture. What are your thoughts on that, Lawrence? I think that understanding is key, you know, culture's key. You know, we've got a broad range of customers from you know, financial services, public sector, you know, not-for-profits. I mean, we had a, a large not-for-profit NDIS provider who had won a piece of business to pick up a whole bunch of extra sites and they had a very short space of time to do it. And because we understood their business, because we could show we truly cared, we knew how to prioritise, we knew how to get things done, and we actually helped them to hit what were some pretty tough timeframes. Yeah, there's other examples as well. You know, if I think of some of the companies maybe we worked with for a short period of time, some of them from their inception, there's a financial services company we work with in the lending space. Mm. And we understand their business trajectory. It was spun out of another business. You know, they're looking to build book. Eventually, they're going to exit through a sale. And everything they do is, is around having platforms that support that. So, you know, being on the cloud from day one, putting automation in at every possible step, making sure that they can scale their book and their contracts without having to scale their people and their costs. There's so many examples of where having the right culture and having that curiosity and wanting to understand your customer's business really make a difference. And Luke, obviously, a you know, major driver of DX continues to be cloud cloud services. What are the main complexities that CIOs need to be aware of shifting workloads to the public cloud in your view? Yeah, look, there's a few. It's not simple. And my you know, number one piece of advice in, in anything, whether it's cloud or not cloud, is really to step back and consider more broadly your architecture and, and determine where public cloud or private cloud or, or any other technology makes sense from a business value perspective. For us, we're seeing in many cases, public cloud is the right way to go, but it's not always the right way to go. Indeed, you don't yeah. want to get it wrong and have to re-implement. Yeah. We were working with um, recently with one of our financial services customers around some of their services, you know, and where was the best platform to put that, that workload and was the best approach from a total cost of ownership perspective to put it in a combination of on-premise and to leverage cloud. Yeah. It's not, you know, cloud everything. Once you've established that public cloud is the way to go, we see three areas that we're supporting customers with most. Firstly, security. It's not secure out of the box. There's, there's more to it than that. Visibility, like knowing what you have, where it is, and controlling that resource utilization so you're not dealing with bill shock later on. Amazing. And of course, capability. Skill sets are, are slightly different. You're going to partner in that space or you're going to build it yourself to be successful. It's interesting, isn't it, that we're, we're hearing increasingly now that you know public cloud is not necessarily the way to go. And in, instinctively and intuitively, that does make sense, but we're so kind of conditioned to hearing about the need to move to the cloud that we kind of it gives one pause. And of course, it makes sense that not public cloud isn't right necessarily for all organisations. And it's about getting a fairly complicated configuration right that that aligns perfectly with the needs of that organisation. I'm wondering what, what your thoughts are on that as well, Lawrence. Yeah, you've only got to look at the the market analysis around the exponential uptake of of public cloud services. I mean, it's an incredible. Yeah, incredible technology shift in our industry and there's definitely huge benefits when it's used in the right way but you know it isn't the right tool for every job and I, I still do believe that there is there is relevance for private cloud uh, 
at the moment. I mean, there are some real benefits you get, you know, compliance out of the box. You get a lot of control around, you know, things like performance requirements. You can really tailor it to your business needs. A lot of private cloud providers as well will give you some flexibility around architectures that you may not get with a hyperscaler. Um, and obviously cost, you know, cost is a big factor as well. You get a lot more surety around your cost when you're signing a multi-year agreement with a private cloud provider. Yeah, there's often benefits as well if that private cloud provider is your MSP. There's efficiencies and benefits they get there, which is cost savings and, and gains they can pass on. So you know, I think it's just really important when you're looking at what the right cloud is for you is to you know, don't necessarily always buy into the hype, but actually ask ask the questions and, and do the due diligence and understand exactly what's going to be best for you in terms of, you know, your long-term TCO, performance, compliance, all of those things that need to be considered. Yeah. And that, that transparency of costs issue is just only going to become more important over time, isn't it? Absolutely. And I think when you're dealing with a, a private cloud provider, you know, buying their hardware and software from the from industry vendors, you know, we've seen that the, the costs per unit on those are coming down and you can enter into a long-term agreement with a private cloud provider that will see you with a lower price point in the sort of three or five year time frame rather than an increase there's definitely benefits to to the transparency you can get from from working with a private cloud provider so many different configurations and permutations that that CIOs need to be thinking about today what are some of the top line considerations that you would recommend for CIOs trying to get the right cloud architecture for their organization? Yeah, absolutely. Such a such an important decision-making process and discovery process. I mean, the way we look at it, you know, we, we put a lot of time and effort into discovery and then into design. And when we start from the outside and work in, and, and what I mean by that is we don't sort of think, hey, this is a, this is a great fit for Azure or private cloud or on-premise infrastructure and then design outwards. We, we go from the outside in. So we look at what the customer's users are doing. What are they doing for the customer's customer? How are they supported? What applications do they need? What data do they need? Where do they need it from? And once you start to understand what moves the needle for the customer in supporting their own customer, you can then start to, to move back in and work out what the right platforms are. And yeah, there's a, a whole bunch of factors you need to consider. And I think where we see most of our customers now ending up is in is in a hybrid space. You know, there's absolutely a huge number of awesome SaaS applications. There's some great platforms as a service. Infrastructure as a service has got a big part to play. You know, we still have many, many customers that run their own data centers for certain workloads, whether that's because of legacy architecture or just, you know, a desire to keep the data, you know, where they can where they can see it and touch it. There's going to be, I think, for the next three to five years, a definite trend towards that kind of multi-cloud, hybrid cloud type of ecosystem and when you're when you're building out and designing it to your question what should the what should the CIOs be considering in my experience where I see these projects go really really well and deliver great business value it's where you start from the outside and, and work back in and of course it's not just hybrid cloud environments it's also multi-cloud as well right absolutely I mean we've got many many customers that are running multiple cloud environments and then you've got to get into the whole security and visibility piece which you know Luke alluded to earlier if you're going to have your data in in disparate clouds and disparate locations how are you going to how are you going to govern it how are you going to make sure you know where it is that it's secure that you've got visibility of it can get out of control really quickly but you know there's some great tools out there and if you put the right controls in place and the right architecture it can have a really positive impact on you know delivering business 
objectives and, and those types of projects. And it's, it's interesting, you've thrown up quite a few different uh, customer examples across different sorts of industries. I, I, I imagine that moving forward, we're going to see more obvious differentiation between businesses and different industry verticals in terms of how CIOs within those organizations should go about configuring their, their cloud architectures as well, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, no two businesses are alike. So what's going to work for one definitely, you know, definitely won't always work for another. Yeah. I think that the options open to CIOs now have probably never been broader. Mm. So there's some, some really interesting decisions that they're going to have to make as to how they support their users who are supporting their customers you know, now and into the future. Yeah. And, and of course, Luke, these are not easy decisions for many CIOs to make on their own. Definitely not. I mean, we see you know, CIOs looking to their peers for reference examples or to us for examples where we've done similar work in similar industries. There's plenty of support out there. It's finding the right partner and you know, getting your architecture right across what you're trying to achieve as a business. Interesting times ahead. It's been fascinating the, the cloud journey over many years. And of course, the last 18 months is going to be reflected upon in cloud history as one of the most interesting times. And, and of course, moving forward, even the most talented CIOs are going to struggle going it alone and are going to need help. Gentlemen, thanks so much for those insights. Thank you for having us. Thanks, David. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you enjoyed episode one of this two-part series produced in partnership with Canon Business Services, Harbour IT and Converger BPO, as well as CIO Australia on maintaining business agility and data security with the cloud post-COVID. Coming up next, adopting a risk-based approach to address increasing cybersecurity and compliance challenges. In this, the second and final episode in this series, we'll be discussing the dramatic shifts seen across the cybersecurity landscape since the onset of COVID-19 and how CIOs, and increasingly the CEO and wider executive, should go about managing the rising threats from malicious actors, while also navigating increasingly rigorous regulatory and compliance requirements. It's emerging as much a cultural as a technical issue for CIOs to work through and bring the entire organization with them on the journey, which as you'll hear, now demands a complete redesign of current strategies combat cyber attacks and maintain the integrity of ever-growing and more sensitive business data repositories. We hope you can join us. 